and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is You Did This To Us. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me from home quarantine as well. Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, but, you know, I I tried to get one over on our listeners, the people who voted for this. <laughs> and I'm I'm not sure I did the right thing in how we ended up. Yeah. What we ended up watching. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely preface that next. Uh, David Luzader, how are you also uh, quarantining? Yes, kind I'm of, doing yeah. well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with Nicole in that I was, I think I was the first one to suggest, oh, here's mm-hmm. a way we could have some fun with our listeners. And uh, I was like, <laughs> let's teach them a lesson about specificity. And really, we're shooting ourselves in the foot either way, I think. Yeah, it's do you want long and okay, or do you want short and bad? Uh, is kind of the the evils there you have to contend with for the Hobbit. Uh, so the Hobbit one for you did this to us. For those unfamiliar, you did this to us is a poll on our website, mgrpodcast.com. And every five weeks you can go and vote. If you want to know when that opportunity is, you can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter, but every five weeks we will add five movies that didn't win the last time. So two through six from the previous poll. And then we also add the opportunity for folks to add their own movies and you can vote and you can vote for ones that are your own pick or someone else's. The Hobbit arrived in our poll last time from a listener and lost. So it came back in again this time. Now it was only listed as the Hobbit. So my opinion is that I'm pretty sure whoever put it in probably wanted us to watch a Peter Jackson movie because they're long and monotonous and the Hobbit in particular is pretty well disliked. But uh, that lesson in specificity, we did not see a unexpected journey or adventure, whatever that first movie is called. So instead we watched the animated TV special from 1977, the Hobbit. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And if you're like me, you probably hadn't seen this since you were a kid. I don't know if I've ever seen this. I I owned this and I owned the Bakshi movie because he did Lord of the Rings. It's like a with the same kind of studio and people, but like the subsequent movie after this. And both those were like hits for me when I was a kid. Hmm. Yeah, I actually, uh, again, showing my age. I, I watched this when it was on TV uh, when it came <laughs> out, and I didn't remember very much of it at all until Gollum showed up, and then I'm like, oh, oh, I remember, I remember this, I remember being terrified of this when I was oh, little. Yeah. Uh, I, I would so, bet. Yeah. 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 For me, it was him. And then in the film after this, a year later, that Ralph Bakshi did, uh, his interpretation of the Nazgul, of, of the Ringwraiths, oh. was terrifying yeah. to me as a child. Absolutely horrifying. Yes. Um, and then later, a couple years later, the actual Nazgul from Peter Jackson's were also terrifying. Because uh, yep. I, was, I was young when both those came out. So, in any case, let's talk about 
what we're going to watch next week so people can prepare. You know, if you're like us, this episode's still going to come out when you're very likely stay at home. So now's the opportunity to follow along, watch these movies with us. It's a new to two pick. So David has to choose a film that neither myself nor Nicole have ever seen before. David, what are we going to be watching next week? All right. So next week, what you guys will be, I, you know, I have a, a few things on the list. I was, I've been moving through my list that I've had since kind of the beginning, but you both revealed you hadn't seen this. And I thought, let's watch a movie a lot of people have seen and has some pretty good SEO. So we're going to watch Toy Story 4. Oh, Interesting. Right. Okay. <laughs> I should preface, I don't think I've seen the entirety of 3. So I think I need to go back and watch oh. that first. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a great oh, movie. Is that bring, helpful to me? Get, have tissues. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, because I mean, if you don't, I mean, the ending of that one sets up where the, the toys are in four okay all right i'll watch both then because i remember one and two pretty well so i'll I'll watch three and i'll watch four all righty uh next week new to two toy story four i think it might be on disney plus i don't know it is on disney plus it's also the rental is only like three bucks so it's not too expensive to rent sweet the rare disney movie that's easy to get uh the hobbit 1977 what we watched a homebody hobbit in middle earth gets talked into joining a quest by the wizard gandalf to accompany a group of dwarves to recover their treasure from a dragon living in their ancestral home the lonely mountain so let's go straight through to the first discussion topic here uh (laughs) This is an entirely average after-school special. It's barely a movie. I mean, if you qualify movies as 80 minutes or longer, it's not even a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think 90 minutes is like the standard. But but then again, uh, this was a, a direct-to-TV movie, which means that it was probably uh, commissioned by a, the channel that was going to play it. And they were like, here's exactly how long you have because we're going to put commercials in this thing. So don't make it a second longer. <laughs> and it is an hour and 17 minutes. Yep. It's short. Uh, you mentioned this in our discussion topics, David, or, or rather in our Slack, that it's fun to watch where the clear commercial breaks are. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it out. It, and it's so weird to me because like, you don't see movies like that anymore that were made for TV. Um, and even TV itself so often is not made for commercial breaks anymore because we're so used to nonstop streaming that to have the, oh no, smog is flying over Lake Town. And then it cuts to black and then cuts back to smog flying over Lake Town. Yeah, it's got to remind you where we left off. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's quaint in that regard. Like, I do think that this, is, is it fair to say that this is much more children focused than even what Jackson did with the three Hobbit movies? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, like, and which is, like, kind of fair. Like, the book is a children's novel. I feel like that often gets lost. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very explainy. <laughs> there's more <laughs> there's more exposition than is strictly necessary just to make sure the kiddies are up to speed on what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. none of the action, like, none of the action is too, you know, there's a couple, like, thrilling moments, but nothing's, like, too over the top. You're telling me when Bilbo stabs spiders and every time a spider dies, the screen does the and does the little rotate like motion from Movie Maker that that's not high octane action. Okay, that was one of my favorites. And my other favorite uh, thing in this movie is the absolutely pathetic sound Smog made whenever he breathes fire. <laughs> right. And my breath. Death. 
well. It was like something like they turned it down. Like it was barely even like a noise. It was like it was like a campfire you could hear from like a distance. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like they told the voice actor, okay, you know, we're going to, in post-production, we're going to add like a lot of stuff to it and we're going to make it more echoey and <laughs> rumbly. So he was just literally kind of saying, roar, every time he went by and he like barely tweaked it. <laughs> yeah. What I also love is I watch all of our movie go around movies now with subtitles. And the reason I do that is I feel like I absorb movies so much more with it when I'm reading along with it. And I love the subtitles for every single time he goes roar. They added like nine R's followed by like three <laughs> O's and it just goes across the entire screen like that. Uh, I, I want to talk about smog in a second. Uh, Nicole, you put in response to my topic, you have not seen enough after school specials. If you think this one is average, are you saying that most are significantly worse than this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And or much more adult than you would think you would have for children. Yeah. I mean, I specifically absolutely horrifically vivid memory of watching an after school special about a girl with bulimia who kept jars of vomit in her closet. Jesus. Uh, and her mother finds them one day, like stacks of vomit jars. And that was scarring for me as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I know. Oh, God. I, I know that that actually you know happens with some people when they're high you know trying to hide that they have an eating disorder but uh, you know I prefer <laughs> that's to a lot you know, when I came home after school <laughs> to watch yeah, yeah I, so. I feel like I feel like uh, by the time that I I was what you know like a, a a kid and they were doing like after school specials it was stuff they would tack on to the end of episodes like you know very special episodes very special yeah yeah but also <laughs> I, I have like the, these distinct memories of power rangers and them like doing an extra two minute little thing where like this kid's getting bullied for what he wears and like the you know the two power rangers <laughs> help him out like that's kind of what <laughs> i think they became yeah, right, but, or the lesson on the end of G.I. Joe. And knowing is half the battle. <laughs> Go, Joe. Because when, when I think of after-school specials, I think of either like really old and hokey, like a, like a reefer madness type thing, or I think of the magic school bus. And that's kind of oh. where I land. Um, oh, I will say that like... Was fine. No, I'm not saying either are bad. I mean, reefer madness is pretty bad. But uh, I... I think that The Hobbit is good for that, though, in a way, because as Nicole said, like, yes, it's very explaining to kids and it doesn't get bogged down in any of anything that resembles much of a plot at any point. <laughs> um, no. But it it does have moments where it tries to to glean something more from The Hobbit. Like, I really do like the scene in this movie where and they, they differentiate a little bit from the book and we'll get into that later. But during the Battle of the Five Armies at the end of the book, um, at the end of the movie, you, you don't really see the fight, and that's fine. Um, frankly, I just don't think they could have animated it. Yep. But when you do see the battlefield, it's this uh, this panning shot across a battlefield where you see bodies of, of elves and humans and goblins and just everyone. Like there, It's very clear that there is no winner here. Um, you no, may it's have very the- gone with the wind. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, you may have beaten the goblins, but you guys lost yourselves in the process. And uh, 
And like, yeah, part of that is that they want to highlight that particularly in 1977 with a very heavy anti-war sentiment in this movie, I think. But I think it does a good job of that. I think it, it shows that, you know, no one won this. in the past at that point. Yeah, no. And there, and another key difference to that as well is that in the book, um, Bilbo gets knocked out and misses the mm-hmm. fight. Uh, where in this, he does a very, you know, conscientious objector sort of thing. Where he's just like, I don't get war, and then goes to watch it from a rock. Thorin is correct. I simply do not understand war. Yeah. yeah. Not, not, <laughs> I'm going to go sit under this tree and watch you all murder each other. All right. right. I'm not yeah, going to participate, I'm, but I'm going to watch. At no point in this does Legolas defy gravity and jump upward on falling rocks. I mean, what even oh. is this Battle of the Five Armies? I, I did. I, so my girlfriend really wanted to watch this with me. And I uh, I did turn to her at the point when they all get locked inside the cells and uh, w- with the wood elves. And I was like, now, where's the scene where the sexy wood elf flirts with one of the dwarves for 45 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, lady from Lost. I forgot her name. Evangeline uh, Lilly. Evangeline Lilly, right. really had a career after Lost. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, moving on from the after school special side of it, you mentioned Smog, and I want to talk about him briefly because I do love his design in this movie. Um, so, for it's those so unaware, weird. he looks like a cat. Uh, he's got whiskers and he has kind of a fuzzy face. He looks very much like a cat. And Tolkien had this long standing disdain of cats. Like, in. All the novels, at any point that there's a cat, he always talks about them being mischievous and up to no good, and they're sneaking around because they're all spies for Mordor. Um, In early drafts, uh, Sauron was originally actually a giant cat, which totally changes that vibe, but I'm here for it. Well, the, the the big eye, the big eye in Lord of the Rings, uh, the, the original trilogy is like a big cat eye. Exactly. And that's what they actually worked down uh-huh. from is he was like, oh, maybe it shouldn't just be a giant cat and it should just be the cat eye. So mm. he had. Oh, he- I always interpreted that as a snake eye. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I-, I could see it both. Yeah, ways. I could see that. Um, so he doesn't like cats. And <laughs> I can appreciate <laughs> that, that this movie captured that so well. Like, it's such a bizarre dragon look and i'm here for it i do like that part of this movie yeah no that there, there are some design choices that i actually really like in this movie like some of the yeah. some of the looks of things is pretty good yeah i mean the the backgrounds are beautiful and they're done mm. by an entirely different person than the ones animated and the characters yeah. Uh, yeah i liked the i like the background designs but I thought the character designs, you know, of of all the humanoid uh, species <laughs> were grotesque. Yeah. Except for maybe like the, the you know, Elrond, but like the everybody only else. See. Yeah. Yeah. Who was still yeah. like kind of creepy looking with his like super yeah. pointy face and star crown. His, his, his like completely static halo crown. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I put in our docket, like, comparing the character and race designs to what we're familiar with in Jackson's universe. I mean, obviously, we have to talk about Jackson's universe, because that's the kicking off point for almost everyone that has some sort of familiarity in pop culture with Lord of the Rings. And, like, for me, what really struck me as weird was the Wood Elves, because the Wood Elves really just look more like mutant orcs. And I went back and I I reread that couple chapters of the book today, and uh, I, I do have to say that I can't knock them for it because at no point in the book 
does Tolkien describe them at all? Like zero. Like this this book is very much pre um his writing of Lord of the Rings in which I'm going to describe Bilbo for 40 pages. Like it's a total opposite. He just says, "Oh yeah, the wood elves are here." And then all of a sudden we're expected to just imagine what they look like. So I I think it's fair game to make them what you want to look like, but they don't look like elves to me. No. And I, well, in fact, it's funny that you mentioned like they look like sort of warped orcs, which is like that's what orcs are, are warped elves. Uh, oh, yeah. So, well, within, <laughs> I love that deep the, cut uh, Lord of the Rings knowledge. Thank you. I'm no Stephen Colbert, but I get by. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, they, they the designs for some of the the yeah the the elves I just could not get with that at all, and the the dwarves all looked more or less the same. Which yeah, there's only so much you can do when there's like twenty of them. But still, why does the Hobbit have to have like? Like the your Amish great aunt's haircut, like what, <laughs> what is Brett, that haircut? Brett, do you have an Amish great aunt? Because I have some questions. <laughs> no, it's, it's, if I had one, I assume she'd look like Bilbo Baggins in this. It, uh, it's a pretty seventies hairdo, to be oh, fair. Yes. It's pretty true to the period. <laughs> but I mean, the thing that I, I didn't realize it till almost the end is that none of the dwarves nor Bilbo have eyebrows. Oh, it's because Gandalf they just them have all. brow ridges and it makes them look really odd. Oh no, no, I'm looking at a picture and you're right. <laughs> but then look at a photo of Gandalf. He has all the eyebrow for the entire movie. It's like a giant monobrow that <laughs> extends beyond his face. Oh, I'm, that's so disturbing. And also, like the <laughs> the cover of like the video, like the it, the dwarves look like the seven dwarves from uh, Snow White. Snow White, yeah, yeah, they kind of do. I mean, they have the names kind of like that, right? Like here's Dory and Dopey and Dongle. Uh, <laughs> well, what's kind of funny with them all, with all the dwarves looking more or less alike, is that they had. I think there were only like two voice actors yeah, doing was, all yeah. of the dwarves. <laughs> yeah, Jack. <laughs> Jack DeLeon did uh, Dwalin, Feely, Keely, Owen, Gloin, Ori, Nori, Biffer, and Bofer. I believe he also did Bard. And, uh, it doesn't say, it says that Bard was done by John Stephenson, who did Dory. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then Thorin was Hans Conried, who was a, you know, very famous and respected actor from like the 40s and 50s. There are a lot of. There are a lot of Jack Daltons doing voice work for this movie, like <laughs> actors who had been big in the 40s and 50s who were whose careers had kind of tapered off mm-hmm. by this point significantly. Um, although they also had like a couple of at least one legendary uh, voice actor, which I have here in my notes somewhere. Um, oh, Don Messick. Um did several of the dwarves and uh, Lord of the Eagles. And he did a ton of uh, famous animal voices. Mostly Um, he was (laughs) Scooby-Doo for decades. Uh, He was Astro for decades. He was Muttley, you know, did a lot of work for Um, Hanna-Barbera. All Hanna-Barbera dogs voiced by one guy. Big surprise. (laughs) Well, he did do one sort of humanoid character. He was uh, Papa Smurf for years oh so interesting 
Is it but fair I mean, to say? Oh, go ahead. On Houston and yeah, Otto Preminger. What the hell is Otto Preminger doing? <laughs> uh, playing the elf, the Elven King. I don't. I I guess yeah. Is yeah, it the, fair to say that that making the eagle talk was a bad decision that at least Peter Jackson avoided? <laughs> it was certainly a choice. It was up there with the spiders <laughs> talking. I but the spiders I can almost buy, but like the eagle, oh, like so he just like. He, but I think it's because the spiders like mischievous and evil and talk like this, and then the eagle's just like, "Thank you, Gandalf. I'll remember when you saved me." It's so bizarre. Yeah. So, well, yes, yeah, so the spider faces looked vaguely cat-like as well. They Probably kinda, that dude hated him. Did. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the, I'll, I'll bring this up now. It's a discussion point I put in there. Um, the the spiders are the only characters voiced by women. Um, not only that, there are no women anywhere in this movie. Not even like nope. in Lake Town. Like, like there's no like background women. So like Lake Town, I guess is Fire Island in the Tolkien universe. <laughs> Uh, well yeah this this movie features no female characters even just walking around yeah i don't if i remember correctly i i don't think gladriel's in the book um so i don't that's maybe partly a fault of tolkien in the sense that he just didn't write a lot of female characters and i would argue it's kind of true for lord of the rings too yeah yeah absolutely yes was was he scared of women, Mister Tolkien? No, I don't believe he was. He was uh, pretty fiercely uh, chasing after the woman that he eventually married. Thank you. That report I wrote on Tolkien in freshman year of high school channeling back <laughs> to me. But he certainly was not known for his female characters or really his super strong. I love the Lord of the Rings and what they've done. But like reading those books sometimes can be just a real, real slog of (laughs) description. So a a quote here from a, uh, from Linda Voigt, who is a professor of medieval and old English literature at the university of Missouri, Kansas city. That's a mouthful. Uh, Tolkien lived in a Mm -hmm. men only world. Uh, Oxford was a boys club. Men and women largely stayed to themselves. A fact that was characterized uh, with Oxford and Cambridge up until World War II, his books had little for females to do. Um, so there's some historians that seem to make the argument that it's it's unrealistic to expect a modern reader to take a more feminist approach to Tolkien um, simply because of the era in which he was brought up. I don't know. Uh, the only women in Lord of the Rings, I mean, again, Are Gladriel, women? she's pretty badass. But other than that, it's mostly what? just poorly written love interests. Uh, Arwen, and how about the, I can't remember her name right now, but the one that ends up killing the Witch King? That's true. Okay, so there's there's Arwen, and there's, um... Uh, Eowyn. Eowyn, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Although they beefed up Arwen for the movies. This is true. I may be conflating that a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is is Jackson. That's two female characters out of how yeah. many? Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Not very many at all. Yeah. Well, kind the dwarves of don't have any female dwarves that. anymore. Just yeah. a little bit. 
but yeah, my, my, my point was even to like, they didn't even think like, Hey, should we have some women walking around in this town? Yeah. <laughs> nah. Nothing. No. Uh, in fact, Nicole, as you put everyone, but the humans in this version appears to be some kind of mutants and not the fun kind. And also one thing I noticed with the, with the humans <laughs> is that like the humans, apparently pants are just not a thing in Lake town. You have to be wearing like a kilt, um, really beefy legs, uh, they kind of all just dress like Hercules. It's it's a very interesting stylistic no choice. <laughs> well, as we've established, this was not a place women were allowed. So, you know, somebody's got to wear the skirts. Men being men, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, so the introduction of the dwarves and the dishwashing song takes about 45 seconds total. More was not necessary. Peter, uh, discussion topic from Nicole. Uh, yes, it is gratuitous <laughs> yeah, in, I, in an unexpected journey. Y- yes. I think this one was in- like incredibly short, even shortened from the book, which was, uh, like Gandalf shows up to Bilbo's house and is like, Hey, you're going to have some people coming by later. All right. Peace. And that night they all show up and it's like pretty right. quick. And I get that Jackson was like, let's expand and grow these characters a little bit. But it's like, you could have done that with like five minutes added to the plot, not the first 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah. yeah, I, I agree with that. Totally. My problem is that this movie, and we'll get into some of the differences between the novel and this and, I do think that at times it's faithful to the, to a fault. And one of those instances is at least Peter Jackson, a man not known for restraint had the ability to only include like two or three songs and not all of them. It, there's so many songs. Why in this I don't want to hear of them. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's even a fair question, but why all of them? There's so many in this movie and they're so bad. Because they're not really good in the book either. They kind of work because you're not trying to put a melody to them. So they read more like poetry when you're reading it as a novel. But when you try yeah. to put these melodies to it, it's bad. This was a very late 70s thing. Animated movies for children. You packed in the songs because it helped pad the running time. So you could uh-huh. take a short little nothing story and, you know, <laughs> expand it to 80 minutes by adding, you know, six songs to it. So, I mean, if you go back and watch, especially like the non-Disney stuff, you know, Disney's got like the big showpiece uh, songs they've got where everything stops and they do a huge number, but it's a really entertaining number generally. Um, but, you know, back then, then the non-Disney stuff, like say uh, the last unicorn you're going to have so much folk music and sappy ballads in the background just because it helps, you know, while you see beautiful landscapes, just because it, it pads the running time. Now, it was just, that was what you did. <laughs> are you are you guys telling me that the greatest adventure didn't just warm your heart? It made me want to claw <laughs> my eyes out. <laughs> I... That song, you will look. <laughs> the greatest adventure is what lies ahead. Today and tomorrow are yet to be said. 
chances. There has to be so much time on screen in which that's played, right? There's a good 10 minutes of this 70 minute long movie in which the greatest adventure is playing that throughout the background. It's so schmaltzy. When Yarbrough earned his paycheck. He earned his paycheck and my animosity because it is so, <laughs> so bad. And it's it's even worse than, than like the 40 second long uh, Tolkien poems extrapolated into ditties. Like it's even worse. It's so, it's so bad. I just am angry at it. <laughs> well, I will say the goblins had a couple of songs that were played in like a lower register and had some yeah. electric guitar thrown in. And those were pretty rad. Yeah, I was okay fun. with those. Yeah. yeah. When they were, uh, when they were chasing up the trees and like lighting them on fire and stuff, I was like, this yeah. kind of rocks. And that one's kind of cool because they're making these, these really creepy, you know, metaphorical instances of we're chasing the birds. They're going up the trees, but they don't have wings and they can't fly while they're cutting down the trees as they're falling out of them. Like that is setting them on fire. <laughs> right, like that's cool. Like I'm down for that. Oh, what shall we do with the funny little things? Oh, what shall we do with the funny little things? Roast them alive or stew them in a pot and fry them, boil them, eat them hot. Uh, yeah, speaking of just like I know we've talked about how everything is super on the nose, uh, but I just gotta go. Back in our discussion, forward in the movie, to when Bilbo's watching the fight happening, and he's like, oh, a fight of four armies. Oh, now there are five? No, and I'm just sitting here going. But he, he does that even before that. He's like, there are three armies. Yeah. It's like one. Two, yeah. three. Like, yeah, I expect four. exactly for him to like turn towards the camera. Can you count how many armies there are? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, run, swiper, run! Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's it's bad. Uh, now let's talk a little bit about how it is faithful to the novel. One thing I, I do appreciate is that songs included, uh, by and large. It's fairly faithful to the novel. It pulls a lot of dialogue straight from it. Um, in areas in which it is vague, I don't necessarily totally fault the movie for that because the book is also very vague. Um, I reread a good chunk of it today, and quite literally, Gandalf is there sending him on a great adventure within the first 10 pages. So there's not a lot of introduction as to why he even should send Bilbo. It actually is played off in the book very much as... I've been wandering around Hobbiton trying to find an adventurer and no one will say yes. So you will say yes. Um, that's kind of how it goes in the book. Yeah. So like that part's yeah, fine. Gandalf I'll that. in this movie is like this, this story is like a, is like a, a toy motorcycle with a friction motor. And Gandalf is the nubbly stick that you shove in the back and then rip really hard yes. to make the motor go and then it's off again for a little while before just <laughs> crashing completely. So, yeah. I mean, this yeah. That, that was more or less what he was in the book as well. Like he would just kind of be there to be like, all right, cool. Everyone, everything is on track. Uh, I'm leaving. Oh, you guys are in trouble. Okay. Here I am to get you out of trouble. Now keep going on your journey. All right. Peace. Yeah. Uh, more trouble. <laughs> I yeah. got stuff to do, you know, and then he's like, I can't leave you guys alone for five minutes, kind of. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't become. Well, I'm glad that's faithful to the book. <laughs> it is. He he doesn't become kind of an integral part of 
any sort of story really until the Lord of the Rings, at which point he is a member of the fellowship. Um, Go ahead, David. I was gonna say also a story in which like he disappears for a good, like he disappears halfway through the first one and then has gone through a good chunk of the second one as well. Like that happens when you fall down a chasm, but yeah. (laughs) Well, Tolkien had this thing where he like, he wanted to write these characters. Like he wanted to write Gandalf, uh, who was like super powerful and he liked the idea of the Eagles, but then realized how much they could solve all the problems. (laughs) So he would invent ways that they like, couldn't, you know, like he had to write all this stuff about how the Eagles weren't going to be part of the war because of their beliefs it's like just because they were too useful (laughs) yeah that that's the age-old meme right why couldn't they just fly frodo and sam straight into mount doom well because the eye would have shot down the eagles it says that in the book come on people it does uh so yeah okay so some of the things though that it's missing that i i think are actually i would have loved to have seen and I understand that a lot of these just aren't feasible for a children's movie is I like that Bilbo in the book has more agency in trying to stop this conflict from happening when the battle begins with the five armies, because when he goes into the mountain, he finds the Arkenstone, which is the ancestral magical stone. That's very, very important to the dwarven people. And he holds on to it and he doesn't tell him he found it and he doesn't pull it up until uh, until, uh, gosh, what is the main dwarf's name? I can't believe I'm forgetting it. Thorin. Uh, Thorin, Thorin until, until Thorin is, is trying to instigate this fight. And he says, no, I've, I've, I've got your Arkenstone. Like that gave him more, more agency and really trying to stick it to the people that were trying to create this conflict. Movie doesn't have that. That's fine. Um, I personally like Bjorn as a character. Uh, I know he's superfluous. He's basically the Tom Bombadil of the Hobbit. Um, for those yeah. unfamiliar, Bjorn is a shape-shifting man bear. Yeah, he's a were bear, and it's cool. He is cool, and and like Jackson included like him, and I like that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, even cooler. Uh, but he's a super giant dude, and he turns into a into a bear, and he's the one where in this movie the 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 eagles go and get them, and then just drop them at the foot of Mirkwood. And in the book, the eagles get them and then leave them with Bjorn and and he gives them information, teaches them how to get through Mirkwood. It's not included on the map in in that. I understand that's just like one other element that you can't fit into 78 minutes. Um I do think he's a really cool character though. But again, that's like Peter Jackson taking out Tom Bombadil, who people almost universally hate, who is this like scary giant man that prances around the uh Shire's forests. Uh he's basically Johnny Appleseed. He's well, no, uh, he's basically like a, a nature god, Tom Bombadil right. is. Yeah, and he like lives in a cave with his wife, and then he saves the hobbits from from banshees. There's very weird parts of that book that are not in those movies. <laughs> no. uh, but I will say, and this is a hot take here because I know most people disagree with me, some underline some of the liberties <sighs> that Jackson takes in his version, I think allowed the story to make more sense. Again, maybe not feasible in 78 minutes, but this version, one thing that struck me as very abrupt is they get to the beginning of Mirkwood and Gandalf's like, see you guys later. And uh, just pieces out because he says he has business to attend to in the book. It it explains that he's going to uh, Dol Guldor, which is the southernmost port of uh, southernmost point of Mirkwood, which is where the necromancer is is hiding up. And the necromancer is revealed 
later in the Lord of the Rings uh, to be uh, Sauron, who is waiting and hiding. And he has to go, you know, defeat the necromancer. And like, that's something kind of cool that gives me at least some understanding as to why he just ups and leaves all the time. (laughs) And I appreciate that Jackson included that. I do think that having context as to why Gandalf is popping out of the story and going random places makes more sense. Yes, I agree with you. Um, I don't know. That's just, I just, I have so, I think like this film, I almost want to put a little hat on it and give it a little medal. That's like, you tried, (laughs) you know, you did, you did as good as you probably could do with what you had. Yeah. And that's why I'm not really, I'm not down on it for this because I realize that these are liberties Jackson is able to take because he is so gratuitous because he will make nine hours into a children's book. Um, so maybe that's, I don't know. I just, I think there's a balance there. And David, you put that in our docket. An hour and 17 minutes is too short. Three, two hour plus movies is too much. What's the sweet spot for a Hobbit movie? A regular length movie, maybe, I guess. Yeah, maybe like I could go movie. to like two and a half hours, maybe. You yeah. Know, one movie. Yeah. Or th- two 90 minute movies. Right. I think that would be like the most. If you want to get like every little detail of it in there, like, Let's do two short movies or just one, you know, two and a half hour movie is going to get you. I think that's going to get you what you need. Uh, no one really cares that much about the Battle of the Five Armies. Like, uh, I, I do want because because we've mentioned the Peter Jackson films. I do want to plug this t- from too far from the end. There's a great video series um, on YouTube from Lindsay Ellis where she breaks down what the hell happened with Peter Jackson's movies. <laughs> and it's really good it is not she's not tearing the films apart she actually like you i learned so much about what happened to make those movies as they are and it's really well put together just wanted to throw that out there i'll have to check that out i'm gonna have to do that yeah yeah well they're 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 half an hour each so buckle in (laughs) i i do think though that like go ahead nicole oh i was i was gonna i was gonna actually pull us back to the the docket here because i mean the one thing that I think it does extremely well as Gollum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this movie, like I, I Gollum was scary when I was little. This version of Gollum is frightening. You know, it's like you could imagine him hiding in a dark corner of your room somewhere. My precious. It is my precious. My precious, precious and precious food for my precious. Yeah, yeah. that's a good deal. That is the monster under the bed. You're right. Yeah. And he's very, uh, like, you know, David, you mentioned in our chat earlier, the book does describe him as kind of fish-like, and he's got that look in this. Um, I love that they go through the riddles. Uh, they pick, there's like nine riddles in the book. They go through that, like yeah. three of them. This is this is uh, something that I, I learned looking up as well. Apparently, in the original version, Gollum was super friendly. Gollum like just wanted to have a fun game of riddles. He he he's the one who put the ring as like uh, up in the riddle game. He's like, if you get this one right, you get this ring. And then Bilbo did. And he's like, ah, cool, it's yours. Let me show you the way out. And it was after Lord of the Rings was published and the character was changed because originally those two stories weren't going to connect. Uh, that Tolkien actually went back for 
later versions of the Hobbit and rewrote uh, Gollum to to be more in line with how the character would be later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this design is is cool. The eyes not only are you know big and fish like, but they they appear to be blind or at least somewhat blind. You know from mm-hmm living in the cave for so long. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I I pulled up the book right here um, and they really nail it in this movie. Um, Arguably to the point that Jackson kind of misses some of these key points. Um, Deep down here by the dark water lived old Gollum, a slimy, dark creature. I don't know where he came from, nor nor who or what he was. He was Gollum, as dark as darkness, except for the two big round pale eyes in his thin face. He had a little boat that he rowed about quietly on the lake, and the lake was as wide as deep as it was deadly cold. Uh, His eyes... uh, he was looking out of his pale lamp-like eyes for blind fish, which he grabbed with his long fingers as quick as he was thinking. And he liked his meat. <laughs> um, and yeah. then it talks about how he lived on a slimy island of rock in the middle of a lake, which he would hop onto his little boat and shoot across the island um, and use his little flappy arms as, as you know, propellant for the little boat. And th- this animation nails that. It really is exactly what the book says he is. Yeah. No, really. It, I I would say that's probably, and it's weirdly the movie like slows down a little bit during that time. They don't go through the whole like nine riddles, but they do actually like. This is one of the points where they're like, "Hey, let's look, let's just luxuriate in this a little." Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, I, I think it works. I think it's good. Yeah, in this particular case, slowing it down makes it more. It it makes it more effective. It makes it scarier. Yeah. We just have to look into his creepy dead eyes for so long. Right. Yeah. And hear Especially, him muttering to him itself about, I wonder if it tastes good, if it's delicious. And <laughs> even, even it's like, even it's the, you know, cause the, they got the name Gollum from the sound it makes, which obviously is very pronounced in the Peter Jackson stuff. But in here it's like, it's more of kind of, kind of a creepy throat clearing thing he does where mm-hmm. it like, you almost don't know if he's like saying words or just making a noise. Yeah, I like this version of the of, of Gollum a lot, and I, and I and I do like as as we've talked about, it spends enough time with Gollum in this sequence, and I think it acknowledges that that's a very important moment. So much to the point that I think they were they were obviously gearing up to make the next movie um, that that Bakshi would then make for them because they even acknowledge at the very end of this movie, oh Bilbo, that's not the first like it's very it feeds it right to you. That's not the first time someone in your family down the line will have to do things with that ring. And that's not in the Hobbit because Lord of the Rings hadn't been written yet nor was there an intent to yet. Um so this movie does acknowledge that there are certain elements of the novel The Hobbit that are more important in the light that Lord of the Rings is now coming, one of which is to spend more time with Gollum, which means you can spend literally 40 seconds with the wood elves which is about how long this movie spans <laughs> yeah which is fine i think there's there's nothing else to them in the story aside from they lock up the dwarves yeah that's about it the only thing is I, when i was rereading the day i i was reading that the only wood elf that seems bad in any way shape or form is the is the elven king all the other wood elves in the book are described as this like peace loving people. They won't hurt anyone besides the spiders in the forest. Uh, they are very like up on up and up elves. And this movie makes them definitely come off as a little bit more slimy. They just lock them in there and get drunk. They remind me of um, what are those in 
Game of Thrones, there's the the people who live in like the northern, like the the woody swamps, and they eat frogs and oh, like Jojen uh, and his people. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember what they're called or what like what the name of that like house or group is, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I could totally yeah, see yeah. that. Where it's like this, they're used to living off this swampy wooded land. Um, but yeah, the, the wood elves in this version are, they're identical, basically, except for their king, who is slightly more grotesque than everyone else. And it's, like I said, voiced by Otto Preminger. So that's, <laughs> you know, they're the, the German elves, I guess. And <laughs> the Elrond is the British elves group right so uh the hobbit hole at the beginning of the movie nicole you noted that the design looks very familiar both inside and out uh and same also with the entrance to the dwarves kingdom in the lowly mountain uh now i pulled up our book and we talked a little bit about it today how the book does a pretty good job of describing what the hobbit hole looks like and it seems to me like both them and peter jackson were pretty faithful and that's why it registrates so immediately with us yeah but peter jackson's version is excuse me is very faithful to this version of it including Mm -hmm. like the thickness of the beam supports in bilbo's house and like the scroll work that's shown i'm not sure that's described in the book this it's, (laughs) it's kind of eerily similar Peter Jackson, you hack. (laughs) What are you doing? So, I don't know. Maybe he watched this as a kid and was like, you know what? Those are good designs. Why mess with them? Yeah, I would. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I mean, I mean, you know, his stuff is all homage all over the place. He probably collected all the imagery and stuff on that. And then, you know, got to pick and choose like the the uh, well, this is something to the Hobbit, um, but the the voice of the trolls in the Hobbit trilogy are uh, three of the of the dwarf company. Um, from this, I did movie. not know that, huh? I really oh, from this mm. movie. Okay, wow. Well, hold on. Let me. I th- this was an IMDb <laughs> fact that I'm realizing now might be ridiculous. Because <laughs> uh, I'm like, wait, were any of those guys alive long enough to have done that? So let me let me just. Yeah, a lot of the people who did voices in this movie did not live to 1999, unfortunately. The, um, uh, hmm. I tried oh, to okay. spend no, some no, time. No. Okay, here's what it is. Sorry. Okay. The troll. The trolls in that movie are voiced by three actors who play uh, some of Thorin's company in that movie okay. just like in this one how like a, the the dwarves also voiced the goblins and so many other things interesting yeah i haven't been able to find a ton about whether or not um peter jackson has any specific reverence for this movie that he has previously you know talked about i mean this movie is the only reason he could make the hobbit let's also throw that out there that as long as we're talking about the hobbit and lord of the rings in the 70s uh, the Tolkien family signed away the film and TV rights to um, both of those novels uh, in the 70s, which was then why Peter Jackson was able to make those movies by getting those rights uh, in the 90s and 2000s, because uh, they hate him. <laughs> the Tolkiens hate, hate, <laughs> hate Peter Jackson. They do not like him. And they were adamant that he would never get anything like the Silmarillion to 
adapt, which is at least in my opinion, why he went so intensely into the, you know, backlog of things inside of the Lord of the Rings books that he couldn't touch in those movies to bring them into the Hobbit because it was his only chance to do that. Um, so I'm sure he's spent quite a bit of time with this movie. Uh, I also do want to mention that it'll be interesting to, I think, look at the trajectory of the way this stuff is shown to us in these long increments, because what we got the last Lord of the Rings movie, 2003, 2005, somewhere around there. And then we got the Hobbit movies that ended around 2014. Um, And then we had these in the seventies. We're going to get more Lord of the Rings here in about two years. And it's going, it's going to take place because Amazon's making a series. The Amazon series. (sighs) That's during what the second age of man. Yes. So it's interesting in that regard because all the Lord of the Rings we've ever known takes place during the third age. Um, whereas the second age is where uh, Sauron, you know, distributes the rings and there's a lot more fighting and it's where he gets his, you know, finger cut off by the elf dude. A lot of stuff we've known before, um, well, but we're going to get more of it. And Nicole seems super excited for it. He gets his finger cut off by a seal door. Oh, a seal door. Right. Jeez. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, I'm just, there's just, there's so much, there's so many unproduced scripts out there. There's well, so it, many original But none of them are going to bring in that Game of Thrones movie. level of moolah, which is what they're well, looking the, for. The, the, the Silmarillion's a rough one to try to adapt to because the Silmarillion is straight up a history book. It is not a novel of stories. It is like somebody went here at this time and did this thing. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's literally every every chapter is kind of an entirely different story. So I I think if you were to make it a movie, it would almost have to really hone in on a specific part, which I guess is kind of what they're doing with this Amazon thing. Yeah, that's it's I I have thought I'm trying to be open minded, but it's going to have to be real good to to win me over, I guess. I will say that this version of The Hobbit, to bring it back to 1977, just hashtag not my Gandalf. I, I, I know that it's not fair. There's a 35-year difference, but not my Gandalf. It's just this imposter is not Ian McKellen, and whoever the <laughs> imposter is going to be for Amazon, not Ian McKellen. And I'm not okay with that. Oh, come on. I mean, it's... It, it. This is John Huston doing Gandalf in this movie. Legendary director John Huston. Look, I man, know. It's, it's, it's also rough because Gandalf created the image that we know of wizards. Yeah. Yeah. Pointy like, hat and everything. The pointy long hat, long beard, kind of like a little bit kooky, with like possibly like a, a big walking stick or some sort of staff. Like, that's Gandalf, man. I, I do think that one thing this this movie doesn't do, and, and it could have been well served by it in the script just a little bit, is there are points in the Hobbit book where Gandalf offers some meaningful reassurance to Bilbo, as he does later to to Frodo in the next book. And um, there's a lot of that that makes, for me, like Ian McKellen's Gandalf so poignant, because there are those those just incredibly meaningful little tidbits of of wisdom that he imparts upon Frodo throughout this difficult journey, particularly the one in Moria where he talks about, you know, you don't get to choose the time that you live in, you just get to choose what you do with it, and all that stuff's great. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Tear to my eye. In this movie, Gandalf's like, think of food. And it's just not nearly as endearing. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, not really. But that's, I don't know. Gandalf in The Hobbit, I always read him as fairly detached. Yeah. Uh, And just like... Like I, I never quite got why he was helping Thorin and company when he just kept being like, "All right, I got to deal with this other thing." I don't know. It's the next. He's got wizard but... stuff to go do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got wizard business. Don't ask about it. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, are we glad we revisited this? I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and it was bad. It upset me. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It was an hour and 17 minutes and I, my girlfriend and I had a fun time watching it and kind of laughing about some of the silly stuff. And, you know, I, I don't regret watching it. Is that the key that it's got to be a group effort here? Because I watched this alone, Maybe. which just made it frustrating. It might be. It might be. It might be. Because yeah, I watched this, I mean, I watched this with one of my kids, but he was looking at his phone the vast majority of the time. So... <laughs> I think he was able to just sort of drop in and out at will and catch the good parts and then go do other stuff kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I, there were there were a few interesting tidbits from here. You know, the riddling section with Gollum and Bilbo was was good and interesting. And Smog was inter- an interesting take on a dragon. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, in at least in the Peter Jackson version, I get a little more sense of guilt from Bilbo about provoking the dragon into attacking the human town. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in this movie, none. None yeah. whatsoever. He pisses the dragon off and leaves. And he knows that the dragon is going to go kill the humans. And he sends a bird that doesn't talk to go tell the humans that <laughs> but the bird the then dragon does has talk. a weak spot with one scale missing um how's that gonna happen <laughs> but then bard is like oh you speak oh great thank you for this information and yeah i mean that's that's, that's been a lord of the rings I'm thing right dog. They, they don't have the vocal cords and the lips well, it's it's like when Gandalf is stuck on top of uh, Saruman's tower and uh, and whispers to a to what looks like a butterfly in the movie to to get to go get him eagles, right? So yeah, but that's like magic. Yeah, right. He's this Gandalf. Bird, it yeah, magic. He didn't. It wasn't like a parrot. You know, it's not the right kind of bird for talking. <sighs> it's a little odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm troubling about talking bears. You know, they're talking spiders in this movie, and I'm upset because the bird, you know, has a long <laughs> beak shape. So, well, yeah, giant talking whatever. spiders, I can forgive, but a talking normal sized <laughs> bird, come on. But talking regular sized birds, no. Yeah, that's <laughs> too much. And, and kind of a last discussion topic before we drop off here. Um, I just realized that both the book and this movie and Jackson's trilogy. All three of them really fail to mention the point of Bilbo. Um, aside from being the unexpected hero that manages to save them several times, the whole idea of having the burglar makes no sense. Can anyone explain that to me? Because he goes in, he gets a cup, he comes out, which is what he does in the book as well, and then 
the dragon attacks the town? And what's the point of Bilbo? What is he supposed to burglar? They never really flesh that out in any of these mediums. Well, they kind of have a reason in this one is that he keeps it from being an unlucky number. They need to have one more person in the party to keep it from being 13 people on the adventure. But there you go. It's that's like literally the only real reason. Yeah. I just Gandalf's sense of mischief or knowing that Bilbo has a hero inside of him and just needs the right adventure to bring it out in him. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I Jackson, you can tell when a movie wears on someone's soul, where, like when they're trying <laughs> to defend it, they just start trailing off. Whatever. I think Jackson tried to give Bilbo some purpose in his, because the idea in that film was that, he knew he was supposed to get the Arkenstone. They were telling him to get it, which is different from the book. So like that kind of makes sense. Like he's a tiny little guy that's going to sneak in and get this one specific gem. Um, I don't know. That's always a quip I've had with the Hobbit, but it's a children's book. And I think for that, it's totally fine. Uh, next week though, David new to two remind us one more time what we're watching. Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4, that's right. All righty, we'll check that out. Let's go around the horn, see where we can find everybody online. Nicole, what have you been up to? <laughs> Sewing, nonstop for like a <laughs> month. Um, but other than that, I do, I do pay attention to our Facebook page. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Podcast. Absolutely. And what about you, David? Uh, you just find me on the internet under this username Davluz. That's D A V L U Z. Look up Twitter. Find out what I'm up to. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. I also do want to do a very quick call out here. We don't have a ton of them, but we had some interesting responses uh, to Ex Machina on Facebook. So I did want to Ooh, call yes. out in particular, and you can hear me scrolling because I just remembered this. Uh, Tony <laughs> Danasek. Uh, said, apart from being visually fantastic, I thought all the actors involved got the dark underbelly of the movie, which is about uh, what will happen when AI gains its own understanding, its own grip on reality, and how it can truly decide its own destiny. So well done. Uh, totally agree. Ex Machina. That got a lot of wonderful traction, so be sure to check that out if you haven't. That's a that's a great quarantine movie that requires your attention, and we all have nothing else better to do. Well, I mean, and as we pointed out in our episode, you know, Alex Garland is a cynical bastard when it comes to what he thinks will happen with, with you know, AI gaining its own intelligence. Yeah, check and out sentient. that devs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you want more Alex Garland in your life, he's on Hulu right now making that devs show. All righty. Very good. Well, I'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We will be back next week with Toy Story 4. A battle of four armies. One, two, three, yes, four. Our cause is hopeless.